0: Good afternoon and welcome to Hemispheres here on KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. I'm your host this evening, Shannon Young, and I am guest hosting Hemispheres with a panel of invited guests all connected to Iran in some way. We just heard for the opening song, The Kifness, with Saba Zameni. Women, Life, and Freedom, and that's going to be tied into what we are discussing today before we get into introductions. Sina, can you tell us what this song is about?
1: This song is a song of nonconformity. Basically, the lyrics say that, you know, as a woman, as a human, I detest your unjust laws and what you are imposing on me, and I'm having none of it.
0: And that's setting the tone for what our discussion is going to be today. Let's introduce everybody. Let's start with you. Sina Kosh is an assistant professor of strategy and entrepreneurship in the Leeds School of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder. He holds a master's degree in management science from Sharif University of Technology and a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Tehran. Now we're going to go this way. Shaheen Rudbari is an associate professor, program in environmental design. Introduce yourself so people can recognize your voice.
2: Hi, I'm Shaheen Rudbari.
0: Shideh, introduce yourself. Shideh Dashti, it's a
3: pleasure to be here and to talk to you again, Shannon.
0: Shideh is an associate professor at the College of Engineering and Applied Sciences at the University of Colorado Boulder and with the Resilient Infrastructure with Sustainability and Equity Lab. Yes. Welcome. Dr. Sabrina Carolina Cideris, uh Program Director at INVEST Community Studies at CU Boulder School of Education. What, what is INVEST?
4: Hi there. Uh, INVEST is an academic program with a focus on social and environmental justice, leadership, and community at CU Boulder.
0: OK. Rumi Natanzi, undergraduate at the University of Colorado Boulder, double majoring in leadership and community engagement and ethnic studies, minoring in geography. That's at least what I found online. <laughs> uh, you're also a research assistant with the Boulder Affordable Housing Research Initiative? I was, yes. Okay. Let's go around counterclockwise. At this point, we're going to start with Rumi. Could you explain your personal connection to Iran? Sure,
5: yeah. Thank you so much for having us today, Shannon. We really appreciate being able to have this conversation and and, uh, spread it to a larger audience. Um, My connection with Iran or to Iran lies um, with my paternal side. My father is um, an Iranian immigrant. He came to this country in 1979 briefly before the revolution happened the 1979 revolution in Iran happened and so most of our family almost all of our family still lives in Iran and so having that connection um, is a very vital part of my life and I found a lot lies in my identity with being Iranian and, and the Persian community
4: Sabrina And my connection to this issue is through my colleagues from CU Boulder. Um, Back in September and October 2022, um, at one point I received an email from Shaheen with an automatic email responder with some links and some uh, places, some hashtags where I could look up and understand and learn about this revolution. And around the same time, um, I was working closely with Rumi through Invest and she was mentioning to her Invest professors that this is a revolution that should be covered and should be a topic in our class and we also had an exchange on Instagram about that so i was brought into this topic by my trusted colleagues sita
1: i was born and raised in iran i went to school there and uh, especially with you know respect to this revolution like many of the iranian youth uh, back in 2009 uh, i participated in you know protest the uprising against the uh, Iranian government and the oppression that it imposed on Iranian people. And it's been so encouraging to see those movements, those uprisings live on and grow into this powerful woman life freedom uh, uprising that we have right
3: now. Um, yeah, and so like Sina, although I left at an earlier age, I was also born and raised in, in Tehran, in Iran. Um, I left right after high school, and after well, I still have very close relatives my cousins, my father, um, many family members who live in Iran across the country in different cities. So I'm connected to them ever since I came here, I've, I've continued following the news. I uh, learn I continue to be inspired by you know what, what is happening um, in Iran. I continue to learn from the culture and you know the philosophy, the poetry, but also I'm extremely concerned about the, the current events. And in addition to the inspiration piece, there is a heavy load. Mm
0: -hmm. How about you, Shaheen?
2: So I was born in Los Angeles, but when I was 10, we moved to Iran. Um, So I did my middle school and high school there and then moved back to the U.S. When it was time for my dissertation about 10 years ago, I also spent time in Iran um, where I was studying political engagement by design professionals there and learning from the amazing work that they were doing. Um, And then in the long term, I hope to go back. We'll see how things shake out.
0: I'm curious, everybody who has uh, a prior connection to Iran, do you all hope to go back one day?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I see head nods for those who are (laughs) listening. (laughs) Head nods.
0: So let's talk about why you can't be there now. Uh, Specifically, let's discuss with the the two of you. With Shidei, you came right after high school. What brought you here and why haven't you gone back?
3: well i i came with my mom um we wanted to start a new life here um she was divorced and um you know with within the context of the economy in iran and uh, also the the um opportunities that are out there for people who graduate from co- recent graduates from college we came here for a better life and we built you know a better life i went to college finished school at the time when it was, you know, I wanted to look for academic positions. And I, I was married at the time, both me and my husband was here. Um, we actually very seriously considered going back to Iran and, and teaching there. But that was right when when I graduated is, is exactly when Sina <clears throat> says he was in the streets. That was the green movement, the uprising that had, had started. And with it, it really killed any hope of reform. That was the beginning of the end of the reformist movement. Um, and we thought there is really no hope. They eliminated any moderate person from academia. They replaced them with you know clerics and you know people who, who are in line with the regime. Um, so we, we just looked for opportunities here in the US for the time being. And right now we can't even go back because we are being vocal and um, loud about our opposition to the government.
0: Sina, let's go back to 2009. We're we're all gathered here today to talk about you know how it's we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the start of the protests triggered by the death of Masa Amini. But let's take it back to 2009. This is not the the first uh, major uprising in recent memory. What happened in 2009?
1: There was this election that many viewed as fraudulent election. Uh, the outcome of that election was Mahmoud Ahmadinejad that many believed that did not have that support, that number showed. There was evidence of fraud and people took on the streets to uh, protest against that uh, fraudulent election. That was the beginning of it, but it turned out to become uh, more about the existence of this oppressive regime. After many people were murdered, were jailed, were arrested, um, many of uh, the audience probably remember Neda Agha Uh Her killing was at the time the uh, had the highest views of a person. Dying, so that was something that uh, basically made people uh, really detest the existence of of this government, which of course was brutally oppressed. But I think we can see the uh, principles of that movement, that the, the uh, roots of that movement, still showing up in in the recent uprisings.
0: And so the uprisings of September 2022, those occurred 13 years after people hit the streets en masse in 2009. Um, What's the arc? Is this a completely different generation where you're passing the torch? Or are a lot of the people who were in the streets in 2009 also out in 2022?
1: So my view is that, yes, there's so many people from those uh, movements still in the streets, but I think now the leadership is with the youth of this generation. The leadership is much more with women uh, nowadays than what we experienced in, in 2009. And I think the slogans, the uh, the movement has become much more radical than before. As Shida said, if there was some hope for some form of reform at the time, I think that is long gone now. The movement is about toppling this government, bringing uh, a new political system uh, and social system to power.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to add um, that that's exactly right. And after 2009, so that, that's when my generation was in the streets mostly. And the, the ask was, where is my vote? That's all, and and people voted for somebody who was still a, a part of this regime, but was just a more slightly more moderate candidate. Now it's it's really beyond that. It's like Sina said, it's it's led at a revolution. Like so, it, it's it's not like we are asking for the same system. That are asking for very progressive ideas around freedom of thought, freedom of religion, race equality. From all angles, gender identities, but also it's merging environmental requests, environmental activism with um, the labor movement, and the men are behind it, even though it's led by women. We've never had that in a, in in um, Iran's history, where when there have been many episodes of women asking, demanding their rights, but men were like not really not behind it at all. But now, men are getting killed protecting the women. Women are also getting killed and w- men are side by side with them. They have recognized for the first time that they, there can be no freedom without women's rights.
0: Rumi, I'm curious, you you are the daughter, you're the U.S.-born daughter of uh, an Iranian who, who left the country right around the time of the revolution. What have been some of the discussions in your home as far as the the tracing the the generational movement so you had the movement against the shah and then the clerics came to power and then you have these other social uprisings that that happen along the way what's the nature of the discussion with your father about where things are going
5: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I think when my father first came to this country, he was very outspoken, and he was very uh, vehemently against the establishment of the Islamic Republic, even back then. Um, And so he still has that same radical spark, that you know, has carried through all of these years. And, you know, in 2009 with the Green Movement, and he has stayed up to date with politics, the political scene in Iran, and obviously we have family there, so we talk back and forth, although that is um, sometimes not possible just because of censorship. And so in this moment, especially, we've been having a lot of conversations about the uh, intergenerational nature of these protests, um, and sometimes the lack of that uh, we're seeing, significantly more, um, youth on the streets, which has its, its definite strengths. But, um, additionally, we're, we're seeing a bit of a lag in terms of, um, some of the older generations also coming out, um, and supporting in the same ways. Although, you know, it's important to note here also that the term revolution is, um, is incredibly subjective and, um, it's, It's up to interpretation. And so one's definition of revolution is completely different than another's. And so to some and and to many, I think um, being in the streets is the only form of movement, a change, shutting down businesses, fighting... um, And that is definitely happening. But additionally, there is a significant ideological shift that has happened and is happening within the minds of the Iranian people. And I think it is happening cross-generationally. So we we discuss that significantly. We also talk a bunch about the strength and the brilliance of the people of Iran. um, My family members who are out on the streets who are continually standing and using um, their small acts of defiance to further this movement? I think it has been difficult in many ways to discuss a lot of what's happening. It brings up a lot of uh, emotions um, and past traumas from that time, and so it's it's difficult for for everyone. Every everyone sitting here, and and especially. I think as as people who have experienced that, that past revolution and those movements, it's difficult, but there are definitely similarities that we're seeing.
0: Rumi Natanzi is an undergraduate at the University of Colorado Boulder, and I'm joined here in studio by four other people who also have connections to the university. Uh, Shide Dashti is an associate professor at CU, as is Shaheen Udbari, and Sabrina Sederis is a program director at the uh, INVEST program at CU Boulder, and Sina Kosh is also an assistant professor of uh, strategy at the Leeds School of Business. We're looking back. Uh, A year out from the protests that began in response to the death of Masa Amini, Uh, more it was uh, triggered by. uh, But there is uh, an underlying social discontent that's been there for for many years. And we're taking the opportunity to discuss it with people who have lived experience and people who have families there. So um, I'm going to direct the next question to Really, anybody who has family still in Iran, uh, I want to piggyback off of something that Rumi said about how it's, it can be traumatic to discuss this. And I would want to acknowledge that discussions that I have privately with people who have roots in Iran, sometimes they won't say it on the air or don't want to say it publicly because they travel back and forth. What has your outspokenness prevented you from being able to travel and uh, be in person with family? I see head nods. Anyone want to say anything? Shaheen, you're up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's the last point. part about your question is a really, I think, an important one of a decision that many people here have been forced to make over the past year. And some many people earlier um, have made that decision about what what's at stake for. Their families and friends back in Iran, and what's at stake for them. So she and I, about a year ago, when we started getting engaged in some of the efforts here that CU supported to amplify the demands and the voice of the movement, we made a decision that it, you know, we love Iran. We really love being there, so it was a really hard decision. Um, But decided that we want to engage and support as much as we can. And so for us, it was a sacrifice, but when we think about it, compared to the sacrifice that our families there are making um, and people who are protesting, they are making really, it's its nothing. Um, it's a privilege to be able to make a sacrifice like that. So I, th- I think that those are decisions a lot of members of our community here have been navigating um, in this past year. And yeah, just like you shared, it, it comes down to how, comf- how comfortable friends are here with having pictures taken um, at events that are about this movement. A lot of people have a lot at stake um and there there are people in our community here at c u who are connected to people who have died, who have been killed um people fear for their families there yeah
3: you No, know, the same um I was just thinking of the uh, a ten year old who who died in the streets and you know compared to these children protesting, giving their lives for freedom, this is nothing, so that, I think that when When we saw children dying, that was like the turning point for us we we thought like there's no re- no reason for us to worry about um whether this is a sacrifice or not going back and forth. We really need to speak out
1: so, yeah so um since year one of this government coming to power, they've been engaging in hostage policy, so sadly, many of people in the u s know or read about the the hostage crisis in you know 1980 and what happened there, and sadly nothing has changed. Like many, like, uh, the Islamic Republic has been engaged in engaging in uh, taking people who visit as hostage and using them as bargaining chips in negotiations. So many people in the diaspora now fear from going back, like Shaheen and Sh- Shina mentioned. The sacrifice is nothing compared to what uh, people do in the streets in Iran. But yes, this is happening, and it's sad.
0: And when you have to sacrifice the feeling of home and the connection that you have with your own cultural identity, your your food, <laughs> the, the the things you that um, make a visual imprint on you, the spaces. How do you? transfer that into, to exile? Exile is never an easy choice, but how can you maintain a, a sense of community when your, your past is cleaved away from you? Hmm. What are some small acts of resistance hmm. to be able to maintain that?
3: And there's really, that hole is there. Um, so we, I, I think we all accept that we have a hole in our heart the root is is not strong. So that, that, that affects us psychologically, physically even. Um, you know, for me, absolutely, I feel it physically. When I visit, like, I feel that my root is getting the nutrition that it needs. Um, and it's not just family members, just, like, you know... It, uh, it's It's just for example, Tehran is such a vibrant city. there's just there's so many ideas, so many so much energy from the youth and the culture, the philosophy that is like freely hanging around and you just you know you can't help but you know get that get that nutrition to your roots. So that hole is there um but to somehow. Calm things down for ourselves psychologically. I think we we create groups like Boulder for Iran, and that that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you know the, the energy that we get from the Boulder community when when there is compassion and interest in what we are going through.
0: I should do another back announce and let people know that you are listening to Hemispheres on KGNU, FM eighty eight point five Boulder, KGNU thirteen ninety Denver. My name is Shannon Young. I am guest hosting hemispheres tonight and we are speaking with a panel about uh, the social movements in Iran past and present and the larger diaspora community here in the Boulder area many of all of the people who are I'm here with I'm here with uh, Shideh Dashti, Shaheen Rudbari, Sabrina Sederis, Sina Kosh and Rumi Natanzi you're all members of Boulder for Iran who wants to tell listeners about Boulder for Iran?
4: I can do that. All right, Serena. So this group, plus several more uh, people of Iranian descent, people who are Iranian-American, and their allies, um, we get together nearly every Saturday afternoon. And we talk about actions that we can take in order to support the people of Iran while they participate in this revolution. And so um, initially, there were panel discussions. There were really important guests brought to Boulder for public uh, events and uh, lectures and films. And so we swelled to a larger and larger group through this series of events and actions that happened, and we now have 121 people who are receiving our newsletter via email, and 13 legislative contacts and 11 media friends. Uh, we're just growing and growing, one connection at a time, and you know I think this sort of maybe speaks to the KGNU listener who might be thinking, why do Americans need to care? Uh, Why do people like myself, a white American woman, uh, born and raised here on this soil without a family connection to Iran, um, what's in it, uh, what's the stake that I might have in getting involved in this? You know, um, the United States has played a role within Iranian society and politics um, in the past Century. And when I watched a documentary film and learned about that relationship between the U.S. and Iran, specifically, I learned about British Petroleum, BP. And I was really surprised to learn about the fact that British cars and trucks and buses ran on cheap Iranian oil in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And this immense amount of wealth was coming from under Iranian soil, and the British were benefiting directly. Um, And uh, the Iranian government was benefiting very, very little from those oil um, resources. And so along comes a prime minister who wants Iran to be the beneficiary of these oil sales and um, sort of uh, the British ask the U.S. to kind of get involved and put a little pressure there. And Iran was the first government that the U.S. overthrew, and that was in the summer of 1953. The U.S. CIA deposed a uh, Prime Minister um, Mossadegh, and this was because that PM um, wanted the resources from Iranian oil to benefit Iranians. So, you know, I, um, knowing that the U.S. often... Um, inserts itself into the affairs of other people. Um, I was really surprised to realize that not only did uh, the overthrow of that prime minister mm-hmm. occur, but the destruction of um, democracy in Iran also occurred. So it feels to me like those of us living in the US, um, once we understand that history and that legacy, you know, we have our responsibility to attend to this particular revolution, to study it, and to learn from it and um, to sort of take responsibility for the way that the U.S. government in the past has inserted itself um, into other people's um, lives. So that's that's part of where Boulder for Iran comes from. Um, There are people here who, um, in the Iranian diaspora and people who are American allies, Um, We have a necessity to understand this revolution and to pay attention to it and to learn tremendous amounts from it. I'll just also add that here in the U.S. uh, for over a year since the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, um, we're very concerned about women's bodily autonomy. And this is a struggle that we can pay attention to to learn about how women are fighting for their own bodily autonomy. So, you know, Muslim women and all women should be free to express their religious beliefs and live their lives in public spaces, Um, and we have a lot to learn. So there's a way that feminism is traveling from east to west, and it's something for us here in the U.S. to pay attention to and study, and we can understand what's happening in Iran and help grow our own social movements here um, by sort of paying attention and learning from those teachers.
0: Sabrina Sedaris is program director at Invest at CU Boulder's School of Education and is also a member of Boulder for Iran. I have a question about the role of U.S. folks in the context of knowing that there's been some very harmful past histories when it comes to not just Iran, but you're, you know, you're mentioning with Mossadegh, but it was also at the same time with like Hokobo Arabins in Guatemala, like overthrowing that government there. So there we have some pretty unsavory histories of actions, either through CIA regime change or through military actions. Like you can look on either side of Iran, you have the invasion and occupation of Iraq. Same with Afghanistan. So how do we not fall into these um, kind of tropes of we have to do something and overthrowing the government is the answer. How how do we avoid this regime change mentality by force while also recognizing a need for change? And I'd like the folks who grew up in Iran to take that question.
3: I can go first. Jideh. Um, well, I th- I see this more as an opportunity for like a people to people connection rather than governments. What I would ideally want to see from the U.S. government is transparency and um, a, not necessarily support, but um, just stay out of our way. Don't make things harder for the Iranian people and the, their American ally, allies from the communities to to win this movement. This is, at the end of the day, the job of the Iranians, mostly within Iran, to get rid of this government and to design something that is um, deserving of the culture and the history and, and the potential of the youth in Iran. That's the, their job. We don't want anybody to interfere in that story. but. Currently, the U.S. government um, shows signs that they're interfering in the opposite direction, and that we want transparency and we don't we don't want them to make it harder for us. That's that's all. But I think from the people to people angle, there's so much that people can do. And you know, if you want, I can get into that later.
0: Uh, why don't you get into it now? Well, I mean, there
3: are. There are strategies one one thing that we we were brainstorming you know in our team how can you know when when Americans ask how can we support you one way is to say the names of people who are um imprisoned or have been murdered um there are some outstanding um incredibly courageous uh, women in in prison right now one of them is sepi Golian. that is um just last week she after months of being in prison and facing um, solitary confinement, rape, torture, she had a court date. She refused to wear the job in the court, and they canceled the court. And you know, the, and she's facing, uh, you know, unspeakable brutality in prison, and she still stood stood for her right to choose. That's a name that can be used in social media hashtags. She's just one. There are so many others: Nasrin Sotudeh, Farhad maysami I have some of their names written: Narges Mohammadi, too Much, Salehi, the rapper Nilu farhamedi and and so many mores, more more um, journalists. The, the two journalists who got the pictures of Mahsa Amini out there in prison. They will be in prison for years. And again, the brutality. Um, so that's one way say their names use hashtags use pins google their names learn about them tell others about them knowing talking about them gives this movement power and if they see like the iranians inside iran see americans using hashtags of these people's names gosh i can't tell you how much how much strength that will give them to see like you know there are people who know and they understand and they're learning from it um and there, there are other things like um we can we can um ask um our congressmen and women for transparency. I think maybe Sina wanted to talk more about transparency uh and and what we can actually ask our public officials.
1: go ahead uh sure thing. I think yes, uh just like Sheila said, uh transparency is really important, especially when negotiating when dealing with these um governments that have shown time and again uh, acts of violence against their people. Um, Just know that every single dollar that might be released to this government can be another baton in the hands of the morality police. Another bullet shot in the eye of the youth, eyes of the youth uh, in Iran. Um, These dictatorships, these Governments, I think, survive uh, under the inaction of the international community of the global community. Uh, so, a one hundred percent agree with what she has said and what can be done here uh, in support of that movement.
0: A lot of times, the U.S. government tells the public, that part of the action that they're taking are sanctions. Do you find those to be effective? Why or why not? Shaheen? I
2: won't answer, <laughs> but I'll just kind of be explicit about the challenge of understanding sanctions and their efficacy for me. There are heated debates um, around sanctions in Iran. I think the consensus is moving towards absolute no engagement with this government, and um, but there there are other opinions and you know I, I study superficially as a member who's active in, in these kinds of debates to try to understand, but it's so hard for me to wrap my head around. So I think that humility is very important for all of us to embrace, but I think a step beyond that needs to happen and I'm I feel bad that I have not been able to come to a conclusion. But I, I wonder if any of my collaborators have.
3: I, I can just add that you know it is really a complex issue um if the entire g- global community <clears throat> worked together on one unified policy it would be a different story but we have you know some of the western allies coming up with one one way of reacting to the islamic republic and then we have china and russia acting in different ways so that i think that's what really leads to the complexity that china is talking about and it's very hard for us to to say for sure what what will help the people of iran what we know is you know engaging at this time when the government is literally you know murdering raping our our people Engaging with them, transferring money to their their accounts, is not going to do it. If they lift sanctions, it needs to be very, very it, under uh, specific conditions of food and you know drugs and you know not not cash to this government that's going to use it to kill kill our people. But I, I this is not my expertise. I can I, I'm just pointing out some of the complexities.
0: No easy answers.
1: No easy answers.
0: Do you have some recommendations though as far as what how to improve people to people relations when there's there's social media blockades, there are language barriers, there're just basic understanding hurdles as well. What have you found to be most effective as as far as forming people to people relations?
5: Yeah, I would say you know, as as we've discussed before, there is this uh, preconceived notion about Iran um, and the Middle East or Swana region as a whole. And a lot of Americans are um, grossly uninformed, misinformed about what what has happened in the past and what is currently happening right now. Um, and so I think, for one, just having conversations like the one we're having, right now um, and also finding a group of people, a community that you can um, delve into some of these more complex issues uh, and and share your perspective, intimate perspectives about, you know, the knowledge that you possess while also recognizing the positionality that you have as um, an individual in the West, you know, as an Iranian-American, I... Um, and more knowledgeable about this topic than most. But I also recognize that I come from the privilege and also lens of um, the West. And and a lot of the issues I see things through, I try to see from different perspectives, but they are inherently Westernized. Um, And so I think having that understanding when going into conversations or taking actions or you know seeking out the best places to devote your attention and energy is incredibly important and needed in this moment
0: better listening skills so listeners if you are tuned into this conversation and maybe you're just joining us now we started it at the six o'clock hour we have a panel of members of Boulder for Iran Uh, you just heard from Rumi Natanzi and we also have uh, Sina Kosh. Sabrina Sedaris, Shaheen Rudbari, Shideh Dashti, and they all are connected in some way to the university as well. I wanna talk about that particular connection. Why, how, how did that common ground, how did that be the commonality between the five of you? And how is the university involved? And is are there attempts to maybe formalize this education that we were just talking about, How? Westerners often are grossly under-informed about happenings in Iran, Iranian history, or even just the 20th century, 21st century history of Iran. Are there any attempts to, to formalize that in an academic space?
3: Oh, everybody is pointing at each other. <laughs> Um, I can just say that, I well, Shaheen and I are married, so we knew each other. But <laughs> <laughs> we thought we knew each other. We, we thought we knew each other. Uh, but the rest of us met after the um, in the aftermath of de- uh, Masa Amini's death when um, we were looking for ways of supporting the people in Iran, especially at the peak of the movement um, early on. We, we started getting together to organize. So um, it, it For some of the events that we started planning, um, the provost office and a few different um, entities within the campus started to um, show solidarity and and, uh, reach out to see how they could support um, the uh, Iranian-American community of faculty and students, uh, but also the group that we were forming. And they were incredibly helpful. I I should say that I still haven't seen a statement. (laughs) But uh, still, aside from that, they they have been an incredible support from from, um, the CU Boulder campus. Now, aside from that, Sina and I are also trying to expand this coalition to um, other universities across the world, actually, not just within Iran, within the US, um, everywhere except for Iran because of the safety of our um, academic colleagues so we are we are expanding this group and uh, Sina has developed a database of um uh, folks that are with um potentially uh they have an iranian root um in in diaspora to create a network that would do academic research um within the uh w- with the goal of supporting the movement and and fighting the patriarchy that um that exists in Iran and in many many other countries, including the US.
0: Have you found uh, interest, for example, amongst the student population at CU Boulder to learn more in a more formal setting, like a coursework about social movements in Iran?
4: Yeah, we're working on one project, which is to develop a syllabus about women life freedom. And it will have a collection of resources that educators from a variety of disciplines can use to bring this topic into classroom discussions. And Rumi has organized a panel, and Shida and Rumi are about to speak to Shireen Abadi in just a few days. Do you want to tell about that? Yeah,
5: sure. So back in April, um, Shida worked, Shida and Shaheen both um, did a lot to bring Dr. Abadi and everyone, Everybody worked, um, but just in contact primarily with um, Dr. Sharina Bodhi is uh, a Nobel Peace Prize winning human rights um, lawyer and activist who Iranian human rights um, lawyer who was uh, exiled from the country um, a few years ago and lives in London um, and has recently a movie has been made about her life a documentary detailing um, her upbringing as well as her uh, involvement within the political scene um, and also being the figure that she she is, and and the the role that she she held in Iran, and so we showed that film at um, CU, and then after we had q and A Q&A discussion with Sharina Abadi and her translator Shireen Ishad, and um, that was a really I was able to to participate in that Q and A, and so was was she day, um, and that was a really beautiful. Way for people who might not have a lot of knowledge or a particular connection to come and experience, experience this entirety, um, understanding the situation in entirety, but also specifically having a, t- taking a spot um and and showcasing this particular moment and having those conversations and so on friday shide and i were invited to participate in a panel um discussion with dr abadi um and don angle who is uh the director of the film as well as um a directing uh member of peace jam um or jams and yeah we're, we're gonna talk about our our positions and our perspectives uh both on the film as well as in this current moment and how we, we see the movement moving forward and where it is currently.
0: So where is that event taking place? Is it in person? Is it remote? Uh, what time? Yeah, so it's going to be a live stream. Um,
5: you can register at billionacts.org. It's uh, on Friday, July 28th from uh, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and so that's 8 to 10 p.m or a.m uh, in Colorado
0: Mountain Standard Time okay okay um, where is the movement now? where where do things stand now?
3: So I can I can give you some accounts of um, you know what what has happened <clears throat> since the death of Massami mean, last September um, Well uh, there were major protests. Um, and uh, 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 my colleague, Sina, is going to talk more about the statistics of the brutality of the regime. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave that for him. Um, but I wanted to k- kind of point out some of the things that are happening now that are extremely inspiring. One of them is um, this uh, woman, young woman in, in prison now, Sarah Olian, that I mentioned earlier, who refused to wear the <clears throat> mandatory hijab despite being in prison and having <clears throat> tremendous pressure on her there are, the regime has um, scaled up the um, presence of sepa that is the um, their military the the brainwashed side of the military in Iran um, the revolutionary guard in in St- in the streets, and they have increased the number of killings, executions. Um, and in response, what you see in terms of street protests has calmed down over the past few months. But there are other things that are happening underground, um, they, um, like the resistance to mandatory hijab. I think in, in many parts of the country, you see women just refusing to wear the mandatory hijab, and they pay the price. Um, they just—it's not that the government has given up on the on the law. Uh, by no means, and there is a high price that women have chosen to pay to fight this. The the pressure. Um, there are strikes in all um, uh, branches of uh, in the, the different sectors in the uh, fossil fuel industry. In different um, factories, there are strikes that are ongoing, and. Um, it's it's just the movement in, in the art scene you know the artists across the board are protesting with very um, explicit forms of art in music and uh, other forms um so it, it, it's happening it's going really strong it's it's like the roots that are finding each other and they're expanding and i would say it's it by no means is less powerful than street protest is even stronger it's going and it's it's I think getting somewhere, um, hopefully, um, it will cripple the government at some point.
0: So, Sina, you said that, well, you have some actual data as far as the scope of the crackdown from these protests. Can you give listeners a sense of just how large and what forms the crackdown took or has taken?
1: Absolutely. Um, I should mention beforehand that uh, the Islamic uh, Republic regime has been systematically uh, suppressing the free flow of information. So it's very hard to get real data uh, on the extent of the brutality, of the extent of the crackdown. What we know that is confirmed by uh, different institutions, including uh, Amnesty. Is that uh, hundreds of people 500 people uh, I think is a, a, a the a most frequently confirmed number uh, have been killed uh, uh, 500 people have been killed in the, street. uh, 20, in the streets uh, 23 of them were children below the age of 18 um, since the uprisings began uh, at least seven uh, political prisoners that were uh, arrested because of this uprising were executed. Um, We have 16 people at least on death row uh, as we speak. Um, Political activists, journalists uh, I want to add to the names that Shida mentioned um, or maybe uh, you mentioned them uh, 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 Elohim Mohammadi and uh, Negin Hamidi were the two journalists that actually exposed the killing of Masa Amini. And they are now in prison, waiting for some uh, ridiculous sentence to be handed down f- uh, from this government. So, and these numbers uh, definitely do not paint an accurate picture. If anything, uh, the numbers are. Uh, much, much
5: larger.
3: I Just wanted to add that also more than twenty thousand people are in prison right now after this. Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand, and more than one hundred um, schools across the country have been, um, mostly for schools for girls, have been poisoned by chemical gas um, in the past few months. Um, again, it's very hard to confirm that it is the job of the government, but it is widely believed to be, the, it requires the kind of resources that the government has access to, and it's systematic attacking girls in school to scare off parents and stop women's education altogether. So, these are happening in parallel to the statistics on executions and, um, and, and the death through direct shooting or beating in the streets that Sina just gave.
0: So with these targeting of girls' schools, do you see a shift towards, for example, the government taking some tips from, for example, how the Taliban has kept girls out of school in Afghanistan?
3: Absolutely. They're one and the same.
0: So when the government, when the Iranian government responds to international criticism about execution of political prisoners, for example. The rationale that is stated is that they were violent against police, they burned police stations. Who are these political prisoners and what did they do?
5: Well, I think if I might just briefly before, because um, I'm, I'm not qualified to answer this question in depth, but um, I would just maybe offer a distinction between um, the language of the Iranian government um, and the Islamic Republic regime because the Islamic Republic is not representative of Iran. It never has been and it never will be. Iranian people, as Shideh has has discussed before, are vibrant, beautiful, we have a rich history and we've been denied our right to existence um, for many, many years, hundreds of years for, you know, a multitude of reasons. But the Islamic Republic regime is a brutal, oppressive, murderous um, dictatorship that is not representative of the the Iranian people who are full of courage and bravery and intellect and are on the streets fighting for their lives and have been fighting for their lives in in various ways for the past 44 years and beyond.
0: Zina, who, who are the people who are the political prisoners and what... Are there charges?
1: <laughs> this may sound like a 1984 world, but mm. it's it's a reality that under such governments, um, even your living, even your breathing could be an act of political uh, Descent. dissent, basically. Yeah, so we have people who have just posted on social media uh, things that were are not savory uh, for the taste of the Islamic uh, Republic and now are prisons. Um, On Twitter uh, some photos with uh, not proper hijab can make you the target of uh, violence so it's so hard to define what political prisoner mean uh, that circle can include everybody uh, in Iran
5: and I would also just mention that because the regime um, it is a, a religious dictatorship um, any any action against the government is seen as an action against God because um, the Ayatollahs the clerics they are essentially seen as one in the same. And so a lot of these protesters who are out in the streets, or as Sina described, who are simply living their lives, um, writing things on Twitter, posting on Instagram, um, anyone who speaks out is charged, essentially, with waging war against God, going against the, um, the word of God, the will of God. And that is uh, a crime punishable by death, as we've seen.
0: We are coming up on the top of the hour, I want to re-identify the guests who you've been hearing for the past hour, or maybe you're just tuning in now. Shideh Dashti is an associate professor at the College of Engineering and Applied Science at the University of Colorado Boulder. Shaheen Rudbari is also an associate professor, but with the program in environmental design, Rumi Natanzi is an undergraduate at University of Colorado Boulder. Sina Kosh is an assistant professor of strategy and entrepreneurship at the Leeds School of Business. And Sabrina Sedaris is program director at Invest Community Studies. Well, let's go around for any closing thoughts. Shaheen.
2: I think as as folks here have mentioned, there's so much inspiration that we can and should draw and i'm remembering sabrina your your conversation about um the role of allyship with this i think there's so much inspiration that we can and should be drawing from um these leaders and heroes in iran right now um, this po- the social and the political dimensions of this movement for somebody who just as a dilettante is interested in social movements and their histories seems very unique and very different um from other social movements in history There is something rhizomatic about this. There's something emergent about this. There's something intersectional about this. Um, Young woman-led about this that's incredibly profound. So I think there are lessons for the world to be learning, um, and I think we should be learning them now because not only will they help in our solidarity um, and which will help lead to the success of this movement, um, but also help us with the struggles that we have here with, you know, women's bodily autonomy, with racism in the U.S., with so many other issues that we're dealing with. So there's just a lot of inspiration and I hope people take seriously that this is a country and people to learn from.
0: Shidi Dashti, closing thoughts?
3: Can we come back to me?
0: Sure. Sina <laughs> <laughs> Kosh.
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, thank you so much for having us. This is a wonderful uh, opportunity to to have this conversation. I appreciate it. Like my friend's said before I think saying their names is such a powerful and meaningful political action so if I may I want to use this opportunity to just mention the names of a handful of you know children that were murdered uh, in this recent uh, uprising by the hands of uh, the Islamic Republic uh, together with their ages so Zakaria Khial 16 Kumar Darufdadeh, 16, Sarina Ismailzadeh, 16, Nikosha Karami 17, Asra Panahi, 15, Siyawash Mahmoudi, 16, Adi Barahuyi, 11, Kion Pirfalak, 10. May they rest in power and their sacrifice is not in vain. Hmm.
0: Sabrina Sedaris.
4: I just want to close by saying that Boulder for Iran supports the demands of the Iranians inside Iran who want a free secular democracy, a new constitution and an end to the patriarchal theocracy. And if you'd like to join us in some actions and efforts, you can email us at at gmail.com And that's the number four.
0: Rumi
5: Tanzi. Yeah. Thank you, Sabrina, for mentioning that, because I think it's very important to voice that we are Merely messengers in this situation, um, and speaking to those in Iran as as much as we're as is possible, um, and amplifying their voices is of the utmost importance in this moment, as well as raising awareness and standing in solidarity and allyship. I just want to. Thank you so much for standing in solidarity with our community in this way and for having us um, for this discussion. And also, I just mentioned in a past conversation I had recently with one of my dear family members in Iran, who is currently in the thrusts of um, defying the regime, not wearing her hijab and getting citations, uh, as she drives in her car and her friends, um, are also getting citations for, um, not wearing the mandatory hijab. Um, she mentioned to me that the lock of the mandatory hijab has been broken and we will never go back. And, you know, we are scared every day fighting for our lives, but it's our duty and we have to do this because this is our life. Um, so, yes, thank you so much.
3: Jideh Dashti, take
0: us home. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, th- there's not much to add. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity. I can't tell you how much this means to us. And the same for your listeners. I just wanted to add to the ask of my colleagues. Um, if if you have a friend that is connected in some way to Iran, um, ask how they're doing. Ask about the names that Sina... Um, talked about, ask about our families, the little girls in our families in Iran who are facing um, discrimination and also the the chemical gas that is being released in their schools. Um, Ask us about these things and that that gives us power. It helps sustain us.
0: Well, I want to thank you all for your time and for your reflections. You have been listening to Hemispheres on KGNU. My guests today have been Jide Dashti, Shaheen Rudbari, Sabrina Sedaris, Sina Kosh, and Rumi Natanzi. Thank you all so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. You're listening to KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390, Denver.